0: and welcome to the Canadian Apartment Properties REIT fourth quarter and year-end 2020 conference call. At this time, all participants are in only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 in your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to David Mills. Please go ahead, Mr. Mills.
1: Uh, thank you, Denise. Before we begin, let me remind everyone that the following
2: discussion may include comments that constitute forward-looking statements about expected future events and the financial and operating results of Capri. Our actual results may differ materially from
1: these forward-looking statements as such statements are subject to certain risks and uncertainties.
2: Discussions concerning these risk factors, the forward-looking statements and the factors and assumptions on which they are based can be found in our regulatory filings, including our annual information form at MDNA, which can be found at
1: cedar.com. And I'll turn things over to Mr. Mark President, Chief Executive Officer. Thanks, David. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Scott Cryer, our Chief Financial Officer, is also with me this morning. As we look back on 2020, I'm very proud of how our teams have responded effectively and in a timely manner to the significant challenges presented by the COVID-19 pandemic. As we've discussed, over the last few quarters, with the advent of the pandemic last March, our teams began implementing programs at warp speed, aimed at ensuring that our residents and employees remain safe and healthy, preserving capital, maintaining a strong and flexible financial position, mitigating risk, and generating the best operating results possible. Looking back, I believe we were successful in achieving these objectives generating many significant achievements during this year. I'd like to touch on a few of these accomplishments this morning. The second wave of the pandemic last fall had an impact on our fourth quarter results, as you can see on slide five. Nevertheless, revenues were up over 8% on the same quarter last year, driven by the positive, positive contribution from our acquisitions increased monthly rents, and continued high occupancies. NOI rose 9.5%, with NFFO up approximately 12%, generating another very conservative NFF payout ratio of just under 60% in the quarter. Our growth also remains accretive to unit holders, with NFFO per unit up 6.2%, despite the 5.4% increase in units outstanding. Turning to slide six, despite the pandemic affecting our operations for most of last year, we still achieved record financial and operating performance in 2020, a testament to the skill and dedication of our people, the stability of our asset base, and the resiliency of the rental residential sector in real estate in Canada. As you can see, we generated strong increases in revenues. NOI and NFFO in 2020 compared to the prior year. These record results once again demonstrated that CAPRI can generate strong, stable, and growing returns for our unit holders through both good and bad economic times. Over the last 23 years, we have built the team, the asset base, and the operating platform that we believe will only accelerate this track record of performance as the pandemic eases in the future. Once again, on behalf of the Board of Trustees and all unit holders, I want to thank our people for their exceptional contribution to our performance last year. And we look forward to significant increases in our key financial benchmarks over the long term. From an operating perspective, we maintained our track record solid performance in our stabilized portfolio as you can see on slide seven. Occupancies remained effectively at full levels while net average monthly rent rose driven by increases on turnovers and renewals. Our track record of organic growth also continues with same property NOI up 3.9% while maintaining a strong NOI margin of over 65%. As you can see on slide eight, we've experienced very stable occupancies through the pandemic. It's important to note that our vacancy at year end is primarily related to a very small number of properties impacted the the most by the pandemic. Luxury properties in the downtown core locations and properties impacted by reduced student demand and lower immigration due to foreign travel restrictions. Not only is this a small number of properties, it's actually less than 10 across the majority of our portfolio. The bulk of the portfolio, the remainder, remains at near full levels. We also believe that our small vacancy rate is not reflected on the overall rental market but the challenges of renting empty suites during the pandemic. As we emerge from this challenging time, we are confident occupancies will increase quickly to our historic near full levels across the entire portfolio. Despite the constraints placed on us during the pandemic, we continue to generate increases on turnover and renewals as shown on slide nine. Clearly, turnovers are being impacted by the ability of residents to move or personally visit our properties. People just don't move around as normal during a pandemic still almost eight percent in the canadian portfolio and over nine percent in the netherlands on turnovers are solid results and we expect to return to our more traditionally high increases once the pandemic eases renewals have been affected by the rent increase freeze that we implemented in canada on april 1st last year to help our residents work through these challenging times. We are now beginning to implement modest rent increases in certain markets in in consultation with our residents. As slide 10 shows, we significantly enhanced the size and scale of our Canadian property portfolio in 2020 with the purchase of another 2,847 suites and sites for $690 million. We also sold some non-core properties, including an underperforming asset in Calgary. We were also pleased to have completed the buyout of 12 of our 15 operating leases in the Greater Toronto Area, as detailed on Slide 11, for a total cost of approximately $173 million. We have taken a highly opportunistic approach to our portfolio through the pandemic. And these buyouts are an excellent example. We acted on these buyouts earlier than scheduled, resulting in a 31% discount to the agreed upon price for the properties, creating long-term value for our unit holders. Importantly, the transition to fee simple ownership for these properties adds material new financing capacity to fund our growth going forward. Meaningful net asset value accretion and unlocks the potential for potential new developments in the future. As we have discussed over the last few quarters, we successfully implemented many key initiatives last year to mitigate the impacts of the pandemic. As you can see on slide 12, these programs allowed us to generate solid performance despite the many issues that we faced. The most important programs began in the early days of the pandemic with strategies to get closer to our residents, communicate with them and understand the issues that they were facing and help them stay safely in their homes, while at the same time ensuring that we collected as many of our rents as possible. Our Compassionate Care program saw an average of 3,500 to 4,000 calls to residents each month. Despite not being able to have prospective new tenants visit our properties, By moving our leasing activities online, we've still generated over 2,700 new leases, on average, each quarter. And to facilitate more efficient rent collections, today more than 85% of our residents now pay electronically. These programs have had a lasting and positive impact on our cash flows. As of yesterday, bad debt stood at only 0.6% of revenues while over 99% of our rents have been collected. We are very proud of these achievements and remain confident that these programs will result in stable collections moving forward. We have also made significant progress on our ESG program. This commitment is important, not only because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's it's a strong business case to be made for reducing costs, attracting and retaining the best people, adopting strong governance policies, and allowing us to provide innovative solutions to our market. A key element of this program is to focus on diversity and inclusion. As you can see on slide 13, we hold an equal gender split between men and women in 2020. 52% of new employees hired were women. We also celebrate over 55 language spoken amongst our employees a reflection of the diverse makeup of the Canadian population and the residents that live in our communities. Additionally, we only have highly, uh, we have a highly multi-generational workforce. This focus on diversity helps us to better interact with and support the communities that we serve. The communities in which we live, where people work, and where people are now investing. It enables us to deliver innovative approaches and solutions both within and outside the organization. And as detailed on slide 14, our environmental, social, and governance programs are helping us reduce costs, attract and retain the best people, and ensure CAPRI maintains strong governance policies and transparency. Our commitment to reducing our environmental footprint is enhancing the resiliency of our properties. It's building healthy communities and delivering strong returns on investment. In November, we were honoured with a Green Star designation by the 2020 Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark Program and a ranking of six amongst our North American real estate peers. Our employee recognition programs, courses and conferences and our career development programs continue to generate very strong engagement scores amongst our employees. While our satisfaction surveys ensure that we meet the standards and needs of our residents, we are pleased to be recognized for the seventh consecutive year in the top tier of Canada's best employees. I'll now turn things over to Scott.
2: Thanks, Mark. Turning to slide 16. You can see that we are clearly in a strong financial position at year end with a conservative debt to gross book value and historically high liquidity. We have $750 million of liquidity available through our credit facility and cash on hand. And in addition, we have $974 million in Canadian unencumbered properties to provide additional liquidity if ever should be needed. In total, if we were to access all these sources of capital, we have available liquidity of approximately $1.9 billion. And even if we did this, our leverage ratio would still remain a very conservative 42%. Looking at our financings in 2020, we locked in a very low interest rate of 1.84% on our total refinancings and top ups. And we expect we will continue to benefit from the current low interest rate environment for some time. At year end, 99.3% of our mortgages incurred a fixed interest rate. We are also confident that debt markets and financing will remain highly available for our properties given their stability and the strong fundamentals of the rental residential business. As of December 31st, 2020, 98.7% of our properties hold CMHC-insured mortgages. At year end, we recorded an almost $1.3 billion increase in the fair value of our property portfolio, including $600 million in fair market value gains. Another strong indication of the stability of our business and the value of our properties that we bring to the unit holders. Turning to our balance sheet on slide 17, you can see that we continue to maintain a strong and flexible financial position at year end with conservative leverage of 36%, strengthened covered ratios, such as an almost four times interest covered ratio. And in 2020, we continue to decrease our interest costs on a mortgage portfolio to 2.56% and a weighted average term to maturity of 5.8 years. We expect to continue this trend in 2021. Slide 18, Outlines our debt strategy for 2020 and 2021. Starting in 2020, management modified its debt strategy to have longer amortization terms on its CMHC-insured mortgages. By extending the amortization period to 30 or 35 years compared to the 25 years historically used, by executing on the strategy, CAPREIT has, cap has been able to increase the amount of debt we can fund at the refinancing date and the total average debt outstanding over the term of such mortgages, thereby locking in more total debt at the current attractive long-term interest rates. Management believes this strategy will allow CAPREIT to use the CMHC top-up program in future years, which will reduce the overall CMHC cost related to premiums. In 2020, we accelerated our refinancing and acquisition financing and expect to continue to do so in 2021. Capri completed $1.4 billion of total mortgages in 2020, which is approximately 30% of our total mortgage portfolio. And we expect to refinance another 850 to $900 million in 2021 in order to lock in very low interest rates for long-term debt. With the 2020 refinancing, CAPRE repaid the credit facility and made it available for potential future investments. Again, on slide 19, we significantly accelerated our refinancing in 2020 compared to the prior year. And this has significantly reduced our interest cost and extended the average term to maturity we had a total top-up of over 900 million in 2020, far exceeding the amounts provided in 2019. We have been very proactive in capitalizing on these low interest rates, and will continue to do so this year, with rates coming off previous refinancings um, versus the current rates, all dropping straight to the bottom line. Our mortgage portfolio remains well balanced, as shown on slide 20. And in any given year, no more than 11% of the total mortgages come due, thereby reducing risk in a rising interest rate environment. Looking ahead, our current ability to top up renewing mortgages through 2035 will provide further significant liquidity in the event of major capital needs. You can also see on this graph that we've have considerable opportunity to reduce our long-term interest costs in today's attractive interest rate environment for years to come. The current five-year and 10-year estimated rates of approximately 1.5 and 2.2% are well below expiring mortgage rates of between 3.1 and 3.3% over the next three or four years. Turning to slide 21, our European exposure is managed by utilizing a number of different tactics with very favorable impacts including obtaining local euro third-party mortgages at at very favourable interest rates and entering into cross-currency swaps on our local debt. Our European assets are currently 81% hedged using euro debt and cross-currency swaps. Swaps are now staggered between one to five years to take advantage of the low swap rates and make sure that they continue long into the future. In total, 600. $76 of Canadian debt is currently swapped with Euro debt, with all ineffective rates between 24 basis points and 80 basis points, depending on the assumed mortgage term. As such, we have locked in significant interest savings while hedging European exposure. A key reason for our prime focus on the Canadian residential sector is the attractive spread between cap rates and interest rates. As you can see on slide 2020, or 2022, historically, there have been very strong spreads over the last three to four years. With forecasts for interest rates to remain low for the foreseeable future, we are now seeing quite high overall spreads of between 200 and 250 basis points. Clearly, spreads are lower in key markets like Toronto and Vancouver, but there is still good accretive deal flow available to us. And we continue to evaluate and act on the opportunity to acquire properties in our target markets. I'll now turn things over to Mark to wrap up. Thanks,
1: Scott. Looking back over the past few months, as I've said in the presentation, I'm extremely proud of our teams and how they've responded to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our continuing growth and solid performance is a testament to our resiliency and ability to quickly and effectively adapt to these challenges. I can't thank our team enough for their efforts, their professionalism and their dedication. Looking ahead, I'm confident that the programs that we've put in place will continue to generate strong and stable performance in the coming months and will contribute to even stronger growth as the pandemic eases. A key factor in our success has been our focused asset allocation strategy, as detailed on slide 24. On the apartment side, we continue to generate and target, I should say, value-add properties in the mid-tier segment. These properties are acquired at well under 50% of replacement cost. We have proven our ability to invest in them to increase value and their stability is driven by their very affordable rental rates. We also continue to like the MHC sector, a highly stable, low-risk business with very strong potential to increase cash flows. Revenues are highly stable, and with residents owning their own homes, capital requirements and maintenance needs are significantly reduced. MHC properties also provide another level of diversification within our portfolio allowing us to enter more rural and smaller markets than a residential focus on l- large urban regions our european presence is driving significant and growing dividend and fee income dividends in 2020 from eres and ires totaled 32.9 million dollars while our fee income for property management services increased 5.2% to 22.1 million As the only professionally managed operating platform in Europe, the opportunities for further growth and enhanced value are significant. However, we will target our exposure to European markets and keep our exposure to Europe at approximately 15%. Another key attribute of our growing property portfolio is our focus on Canada's three largest and most vibrant rental markets. Toronto, Montreal and Vancouver. As you can see on slide 25, in addition to offering quality rental accommodation in these high demand markets, our rents constitute a very manageable percentage of total disposable income for our residents. Our rental rates are between $1.50 and $2 per square foot. Are clearly affordable, they, they compared to other rental alternatives that are much more expensive. For example, in Toronto, rents for new build and condo rentals are going upwards of $3 to $5 a foot. This clearly makes our product attractive to the mass mid-tier market. Quality properties and more space at affordable rents, this is the cap rate value proposition. Through this value proposition, our main growth focus going forward is on the mid-tier segment in suburban markets that offer size and affordability. With these mid-tier properties, we are providing quality suites at rates around $1.75 per square foot, far below the suburban average. Our apartment properties contain mainly two-bedroom homes, space that is seeing strong demand. We are also the largest owner of townhome rental properties and the second-largest owner of manufactured housing communities in Canada. Renters today want more space, and our properties provide a range of affordable options for them. Our recent acquisition in Halifax is a key example. These brand-new properties around the downtown core contain many two- and three-bedroom suites with lots of living space, and they rent for an average of only $1.20 per square foot. Again, value is being created by offering quality rental suites with more space at affordable rates. We continue to target these fundamentals going forward. Further to this point, you can see on slide 27 that our residential suite portfolio is predominantly positioned in suburban markets around Canada's three largest cities. Our presence in downtown cores is minimal. For example, you can see in the GTA, that approximately 22 percent of our total portfolio is located in suburban gta markets with only five percent of the portfolio being located downtown looking ahead we will continue to build on our presence in more suburban markets or in nearby population centers with short commutes we believe the affordability of our suites as well as this geographical allocation will continue to experience strong demand after the pandemic. In summary, looking ahead, we're very excited about our opportunities for further growth and enhanced unit holder value. Our focus on the mid-tier sector, we see increased demand for affordable, high quality homes. Our predominantly suburban locations outside downtown cores, and our larger size suites, townhomes, and MHC sites are meeting the needs the renters seeking more space. We are experiencing a strong pipeline of accretive acquisition opportunities and expect to see solid portfolio growth in the quarters ahead. The continuing low interest rate environment provides significant opportunities to acquire properties with strong cap rate spreads and to reduce interest costs on our refinancing initiatives. And most importantly, as our markets return to more normal conditions. We are confident we will see another year of record performance in 2021 and going forward. Thank you for your attention this morning, and we would now be pleased to take any questions
3: that you may have
0: ladies and gentlemen to ask a question please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad we'll pause for just a moment and call the q a roster your first question comes from dean wilkinson with cibc your line is open
2: thanks morning guys
1: morning, morning dean, dean. Uh,
2: mark um let just talk a little about sort of market rents and that that 20 differential i mean market rent is a bit of a nebulous term can you remind us what goes into your assessment of that of that 20% gap?
1: Yeah, so in, in our case, when we look at our in-place rents versus what we survey to be the opportunity in the market, that's clearly the gap. How we, how we do that, Steve, is we're constantly ranking our quality of offering versus the quality of offerings of buildings in the immediate location, and we price ourselves accordingly, okay? So for the number, three quality offering um, in competition for the local area because apartments are a local business. Um, we want to strive for being at least uh, that, that rent level or higher and constantly updated on a monthly basis. So
2: how should we think about, I, I guess, you know, COVID kind of put us all on our, on, on our heads in, in, in 2020 and your mark on terms was was 8% versus the, the 20, and I guess in 2019, it was it was more in the mid-teens. What should we be thinking about for 2021? Is it going to be more of a self-regulating year around uh, bumps on, on turns, and, and maybe 2022 is more back to sort of that, that normal year that we would have saw sort of pre-pandemic?
1: Yeah, I'll give you a very qualified answer, <laughs> because... <laughs> It's completely correlated to the vaccine rollout and the easing yeah. of the pandemic, okay? Um, I wouldn't call anything that you see in the numbers a strong trend at this point, other than the strong results you're seeing from us. But I wouldn't need to read too much into rent, and I'll tell you why. As we've all gone through uh, this pandemic, and I mean all the apartment communities gone through it, we've really struggled to find how to find residents when there are no residents there for certain situations. So I, I call it, like, we've been fighting on lowering rents, incentives, and uh, improvements. The reality is people just aren't moving. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're staying at home. There's been this massive household consolidation go on, okay? We don't know the numbers, Dean, but there's more kids living with their mom and dads right now than ever before in Canadian history, and that's not a trend either, okay? We believe... That I hope not. <laughs> we <laughs> believe that in, in September is a magic month okay, or as we get closer to September. And the reason why is that's when the government's calling for a vaccine rollout to be substantially complete, Mm -hmm. and that's when there's a return to school, and that's when we believe things will start to get back to normal. I believe that that marks the beginning of what we're going to see in terms of new trend. So if everything stays the way we think it's going to stay today and it could move around, I think we could see back to normal rents Uh, probably in Q4 of this year and and most likely Q1 of next. next And when I'm talking about, like, pre-pandemic rent levels, if not higher. And the reason I'd say that, again, strange effects are going on in the marketplace. We've seen home value prices surge. So the affordability for home ownership has actually grown significantly during this pandemic because you've seen even further acceleration in home price valuations and a decrease in rents. So the gap is the largest gap uh, we've ever witnessed.
2: And being distant the gap between the you know, let's say last last year being twenty nineteen at, you know, thirteen or fourteen percent on turnover versus twenty for the portfolio. Yep. We do see that the higher the gap between market and in place rent, the less likely people are to leave. So we actually have, you know, more built up demand in older leases that are higher mark to market. So that's kinda that bridges the gap between our turnovers and our market-to-market. Market. Yeah, no, that, that does totally make sense. Um, and then my second question, and it, it might not be one that you can answer, I guess, you know, there has been some growing concern around uh, just the veracity of these new variants. Do you have an ability to track the incidences of, of positive case counts in, in your buildings? And, and have, there, have there been any sort of outbreaks or anything? Or is that just is that something that's that's you know maybe a little too uh, invasive to track? No, no, You know, it's
1: it's we we have the ability to track it. We don't have the information. It's tracked by public health, okay? So mm. for privacy reasons, we don't know what's going on. But but public health guidelines across the country are basically the same. When declaring an outbreak in an apartment building, it has to be more than three cases. And we've only had two of those. So those that breached three and uh and very short, very short-lived um people in into quarantine that was fine. so we do know, but we only know through public health, and the incidence of the outbreak has been virtually non-existent very okay, very, very well. it be you know I, I'm sure we had more flu cases in the past. we certainly aren't aware of any any uh any deaths, no doubt, okay, that's great. I will uh, hand it back. thanks guys. yep, thanks, yep. Dean. Thank
0: your next question comes from Lauren Kammer with TV Securities. Your line is open.
4: Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, on, uh, on vacancy, you guys are still doing pretty well, but uh, what are your thoughts on sort of letting it drift a little bit higher over the course of the pandemic, and, and at what point would you start pushing, uh, pushing occupancy?
1: Well, it's a little bit of science and a little bit of art <laughs> because if you, if you play the vacancy game too soon, you can really get behind and it's very very hard to catch up okay and in the context of the of the pandemic if the return to normal is expected to be september and and that isn't quite right then you've lost your leasing season because you get low lease velocity in january so you've really only got the fourth quarter to make up all the ground you've lost with accumulating vacancy okay so I I, My mind has changed on this um, because, you know, I'm the one that's been saying, don't call trend. It's not a trend, it's a pandemic effect. And I believe that wholeheartedly. So when it comes to um, uh, holding out for value, well, we'll be more inclined to do that over the uh, second and third quarter. Because our numbers aren't too bad and we don't have that many properties that need to catch up. And I really feel confident in the case of Capri, if you look at the the ten buildings that we've got trouble in, uh, the majority of those are student university focused buildings, and they will fill up quickly. So we 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 will hold off on on value offering on those for sure.
4: Okay, yeah, you painted a pretty compelling uh, picture of what you guys are expecting in September. Um, yeah. Maybe just switching gears to acquisitions. Are, are there any other uh, big portfolios out there that are in your in your wheelhouse?
1: There are. Um, you know, we'll, be, we'll remain uh, restrained on value and what we pay. Um, we've got a very um, refined, sophisticated acquisition department. Our team does a great job. And uh, we'll stick to our modelling. Um, you know, the market will determine um, what the market will pay always, but I'm never upset <laughs> when we lose a deal. Um, it's just validation that we're sticking to our disciplined approach.
4: Okay, and, and are there any markets where you're really seeing uh, more opportunities than others?
1: I would say what the pandemic has taught us and moved our mind to is space. And uh, so probably that uh, will result in, a, you know, continued focus on suburbs, as I said in the presentation, and some open-mindedness <clears throat> to smaller markets. And by smaller markets, I mean... You know, plus 200,000 uh, population markets. Um, I, we've seen how incredibly resilient those those markets have been in the pandemic. And I think that if people have more flex work options, they'll be more likely to uh, move themselves into those markets.
4: Sure. Um, and then just one last one uh, from me. Have you guys seen any increase in demand in, in the townhomes and, and MHC sites as a result of the pandemic or a sustained increase, I guess?
1: Totally sustained.
4: Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, okay, great. That's, uh, that's all for me. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Your next question comes from Matt Logan with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
1: Thank you and good morning. Good morning, good morning Mark. Mark. Uh, Mark, maybe just following up on Lauren's question. When you talk about acquisition opportunities in smaller markets, can you give us a sense for which markets you might be considering? Like, would those be in Ontario, Quebec, or across the country? Yeah, we've been pretty open. We, uh, we like the um, Ottawa market as an example. You um, can pretty much take any market across Canada that's got a population of, call it 200,000 people, and we would just look to see what the opportunities are in those markets. In terms of supply and growth, and, and demand. And in terms of acquisition volume, would it be fair to say you're targeting something in line with what we've seen in 2020, or perhaps a bit more? Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. Like you know, we we really have this like disciplined approach to valuation, and bid in the market, and what happens happens. Now, what's been consistently revealing itself is that you know we're successful. About, you know, 5% of the time. And if we continue to be successful 5% of the time, um, given 300 deals of underwriting last year, we'll probably see ourselves in the same kind of um, uh, space of of acquisition. Wouldn't be unreasonable to assume 400 to 800 million of acquisitions, but it's, it's really hard to say. Well, what you're doing certainly seems to be working and uh, maybe just changing gears to your letter to unit holders, you had talked about some growth opportunities in your MHC business to increase revenues. Can you give us some color on what that might entail? Well, what the pandemic has also taught us is that the whole um, topic of affordable home ownership is on the minds of every government pretty much everywhere (laughs) So we know that the MHC market um, offers a very affordable home ownership option for people. Um, And so it's our intention to build on the development uh, and uh, intensification, I should say, of our existing MHC sites and look to get into uh, developing new MHC sites. Um, It's the one area of uh, development that i believe is underserviced and underappreciated and it's an area that we have high expertise in great color and maybe uh, a question for scott in terms of the fair value marks in the quarter can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what drove the uh, higher normalized noi assumptions and where you're seeing the most cap rate compression in your portfolio
2: yeah for sure i mean i think Realistically, we came into Q1 um, with some very strong cap rate compression, and we were cautious on that. And obviously, in underwriting or evaluations in Q2 and Q3, we were we were again very cautious on um, what we were projecting from a stabilized NOI point of view. So I think um, really it's reflective in Q4 more confidence, having you know been in this for a year. Um, that uh, maybe our underwriting on the NOI side was too conservative, um, and then the cap rate side. I mean, we just we continue to see incredible cap rate compression. Um, we I, I wouldn't say I would say we think it's going to continue. Um, obviously, the interest rate environment is a huge huge driver of that, as, as well as the asset class just showing its resilience. So, um, you know, Q4 the majority of it for the year was a cap rate compression but it was about two-thirds cap rate compression and about one-third stabilized noi impact um as far as where the compression is greatest definitely uh kind of a the uh gta and and ontario market would probably be where we saw the strongest compression
1: that's great color maybe one more for me and i'll turn it back Uh, we're about two months into 2021 has there been any material improvement or deterioration in the rental markets uh, so far this year? I'd say uh, moderate deterioration. You know, it's, it's, it's directly related to case count, is all I can say. But it's not as severe as case count. <laughs> so, you, you know, we can see that our traffic obviously slows down with case count um, increases and improves when case count drops off. Um, the second wave um, has been faster and uh, probably uh, just a, a far more quiet market because it was built on top of the slowest quarter of renting in the year, first quarter. So I, uh, I'm expecting um, uh, an improvement in, uh, in Q2. But all of this is in the context and backdrop of Capri's incredibly strong results. Like we're, we're still, as I said in the presentation, bad debt, um, year-end stood at 0.6% and vacancies are obviously strong and still it increases on turnover. Well, I appreciate the commentary. Uh, thank you very much, I'll turn the call back. Thanks.
0: Your next question comes from Mario Barak Sorry, please
5: state your company name. Your line is open. All right, thank you, uh, Scotia Bank. Um, just a couple of uh, couple of follow on questions. Um, maybe uh, first off, on the twenty percent mark-to-market, uh, it's probably hard to quantify. But uh, within that within that number, what what would you estimate would be the required kind of capex spend per suite? Uh, to get that 20% or are you saying the 20% is simply uh, the gap uh, to market rent as uh, the condition of the unit stands there?
1: I'd, I'd just go to traditional numbers, Mayor, if you went to pre-pandemic spend on in-suite, I would apply those kind of assumptions um, as, as being the normalized uh, way of getting at that mark-to-market the the mark to market is just a very difficult number right now because we believe that the market isn't truly indicative of what the market is (laughs) because of the pandemic and this is why i keep saying be very careful about looking at trend there's the difference between pandemic effect and trend and i think in the case of capri you'll see a very very fast reversal which again it won't reverse with the trajectory of that change forever it's just the end of the pandemic effect will result in a very quick normalization
5: yeah, okay and uh i recognize that the, the student population in your portfolio uh, is low you mentioned roughly about 10 buildings uh but i do think that you know one of the reasons why multifamily uh yourself included I mean, uh, have been a little bit of pressure recently in terms of your prices uh the, the market uncertainty with respect to the vaccine rollout efficiency that uh, the prime minister has laid out you mentioned yeah. kind of uh, September being uh, the target date for the government. Uh, September is also the start of, of the new school year. Um, so just maybe a, a couple of points here, a couple of questions. Number one, uh, with your portfolio, international students uh, when they when they do come uh, into the country for the school year, is it typically well in advance of September, uh, or do you typically see them
1: come in kind of you know, August, start of September? It'll be it, it, it'll be August. We'll have a, we'll have End of July, um, first week of August, we'll know exactly where we're at with the with the situation. In, you in know, your view, I, I I I can't sorry I can't say it enough. Like first of all, we got we've got ten buildings. So in Capri's case, we're talking about six six to you could argue eight because buildings that are just in the downtown core always have students. But but six that are direct. And uh, we're talking about 700,000 foreign students returning to the country. And an unlimited, we don't know, sorry, we can't can't quantify the double cohort effect of kids that didn't go to university, that that did courses online last year that are going to re-enroll this year. And then the biggest one, by far, is the household consolidation one. And maybe I'm using the wrong words, just kids living at home with mom and dad that are not going to stay there and and anecdotally i think we all have friends that have teenager 20s or early 30 kids at home right now that that aren't looking to stay and uh, they're only home for safety reasons and that, that that's that release of consolidation of households it's going to be profound you know the, the so. all the rent, even though we're not core core I very much am of the belief that um, you'll see a really pronounced recovery in the core uh, across the country um, once it's safe to live there. The the cities have become anti-lifestyle when cities have grown and urbanized because of their lifestyle offering. So, you know, the exact reasons why young people live in in these big cities has become the exact reason you don't want to be there um, because of the deadly pandemic effect. Anti lifestyle.
5: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. So when I guess the the catalyst is really when uh, the universities and colleges kind of determine when in-person classes uh, will commence. Like in your view, do you like do you view that as you know the government hitting their targeted vaccination program? Uh, is that sufficient for universities to? commence in-person classes in September uh, for any any thoughts on when we might get clarity on uh,
1: on that. Yeah I I, like this is unconfirmed. it can be checked universities are starting to announce now um, uh, in-class learning and uh, I I could have this wrong but I I was told yesterday McGill was either about to announce or had announced the return to in-class in September and that, that's a positive sign at this early stage. I think we'll get real good clarity at the universities um, in the next quarter. Perfect, yeah, that's uh, I'd agree with you next.
5: Um, maybe shifting uh, just one quick question on the MHC uh, discussion, uh, do you have a broad kind of sense in terms of timeline uh, with respect to potentially kind of uh, formulating your MHC strategy uh, over the next like three to five years?
1: Yeah, so what we will be doing, um, what Capri has been doing is been adding um, somewhere in the neighbourhood of uh, 50 to 70 homes per year to our existing MHC portfolio by infill. Um, What we are doing, uh, hopefully in the spring, it's all permit pending um, on our existing lands, is uh, looking at uh, developing out, uh, intensifying the development on four locations. I'm hoping that gives us an additional 100 homes. And uh, we're actively um, trying to understand the, uh, the zoning process. That's the single biggest stumbling block to rolling out affordable home ownership in Canada is finding uh, land that we can have zoned for this use. But, but politically, um, the people we've been engaging with, it's had a remarkably positive response. And um, so we're hopeful. You know, we've got a track record of doing it. They're the second largest in Canada, and there's been very little MHC development in this country for, for decades. And uh, I think there's, uh, you know, plenty of room for capacity.
5: Right. So would it be fair to say uh, unlikely a 2021 event, but also unlikely something that you have to wait for five years for?
1: In terms of, yeah, it won't, uh, it, won't, it won't be five years, but we, we hope to give give uh, examples and evidence of our ability to develop these communities in 2021. That's my hope, to get get some uh, um, actual um, intensification going on in our existing sites.
5: Okay, my uh, my last question is just on uh, the distribution. Uh, So in the, I believe in 2019, you announced the distribution increase with two full results, uh, the pandemic obviously. Took over to, uh, 2020. Uh, in the past, uh, you've announced distribution increases as part of the AGM more often than with Q4 results. I'm just curious in terms of what the what the board thought process is on the distribution, and whether it's simply a, a timing issue or whether it's kind of a latency approach in terms of how 21 transpires.
1: Yeah, we're we're incredibly proud of the fact that not only are we lowering lowering guidance on our distribution range. We've now moved it from 60 to 70 percent. We're touching the bottom of that uh, range, um, as I said in the presentation, and um, the, uh, the the board feels very comfortable that we're moving in that direction. It's it's great stability. We are going into a second wave. Um, we're moving uh, with 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 caution, obviously, when these kind of decisions are made, but um, it's clear that we have the capacity. Um, consider that that option.
5: Okay, great. That's it for me. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Mario.
0: Your next question comes from Brad sorry, Brad Surgit to Harryman. James, the line is open.
4: Hi, good morning. Good morning, morning Brad. Brad. Uh this is the follow on to Mario's question on the mhc uh front. Um you know it sounds like you know, if you do pursue some of the infill or intensification opportunities, that could be on your own. But if, if you're going to maybe start a more a larger formal program, would that still be potentially with a partner?
1: Well, we, we haven't gone as far as to announce partnerships yet. But, you know, when it comes to um, apartment transactions, let's just follow Capri's thinking there. Um We've been very comfortable with buying apartment buildings in the final stages of construction or the early stages of lease-up when we can properly assess rents and we de-risk the development costs. And, and, And our track record at buying those apartment buildings at good cap rates is strong, okay? And we think that for whatever development profit we could be saving by developing apartment buildings, our existing strategy has been a good one. And so we'd be very open to applying the same thinking when it comes to MHC uh, development. You know, the uh, cap rate is, you've heard me say, I believe one of Canada's greatest (laughs) rates. And uh, we've done a a fantastic job of adding value in in in-place income opportunities and don't proclaim to be development experts. And we would always, as everything, proceed with caution here. So it's being thoughtful, mindful and planned in our approach to a development program um what we need right now is political will and uh once we feel there's political will on the rezoning process then then we will consider um how to proceed with the strategy but it's a hyper hyper fast strategy brad once you have zoning it's not like building an apartment building you're building land infrastructure as you know and then the homes are, are are manufactured and and uh brought in quite quickly so the, the development cycle is, uh, is hyper-fast relative to apartments. Uh, uh, That's everything ge- geared around zoning. Yeah. I, I guess in the past, too, uh, you know, capital recycling has been more opportunistic than anything. Could 2020, this year or going forward, could you be a little bit more active from a, an asset rotation perspective, or is it still going to be very opportunistic? I think think it's the new Capri um, to to take a hard look at at where we think we created, uh, from our perspective, the most amount of value. And um, if somebody else sees more value in that opportunity, then then that's fine. Um, But we're extremely open-minded today. And it's not really a change of thinking. It's more the size of the platform. And, you know, we're big enough uh, that we, we don't need uh to just grow and uh but we have a great track record of doing that with acquisitions so our again our acquisition team it's a big team it's a great team and they do a wonderful job at analyzing our existing properties and qualifying uh opportunities to to look at disposal but um wouldn't, wouldn't call any of this uh major deviations from strategy it's just building what's worked so i'd say the same thing with mhc development we're, we're easing into it um, probably with more conviction than apartment development. And when it comes to uh, dispositions, um, we're, we're open-minded and uh, no, no fundamental change in strategy there, but open to recycling capital.
4: Got it, great, thank you.
1: Thanks.
0: Your next question comes from uh, Mike Marquez with the your July
6: is open.
5: Hey everyone. um, one, um I, one one quick technical one here and a couple high level ones just on your um I know Mark, you don't want us to dwell too much on the recent spread over the past uh, the number spent over the past three quarters just a technical yeah. question are the impacts of the inducements included in that spread i e lowering it or is that something inefficient too
1: Scott, if you can answer the question I'm not sure i I get it technically correct but but yeah spreads I would, are no, right
2: yeah. The the turnover numbers or the mark-to-market would not include any level of incentive, so um, yeah, that's not incorporated. We do have good disclosure on kind of the levels of incentives they they have increased this year a little bit. Um, We are starting to move uh, away from them, and I think we talked about being more comfortable with vacancy, um, which you know to some degree inducement is just a level of vacancy, but uh, but, yeah, excluded. Okay. Mike, Mike, if I if I can address that if I can address that point because
1: what you're raising is actually an important important point, and this is going to sound a little bit confusing because it's not a trend environment, okay? So what we found was incentives weren't working, like it's just not moving the needle, and lowering rents really isn't moving the needle either. So so what we didn't know is the duration of this pandemic, and what you know conservative uh, approach that Capri always takes is uh, how long is this going to go on for and we have to hold um our revenues intact and so we tried to combat that with traditional tools like rental rate adjustment incentives and, and quite frankly um not effective in the long run there's just people not moving as i said because of the pandemic so scott just alluded to it um we're taking a very hard look now that we believe that our prime minister is giving us good guidance on September, we have something more solid we can work towards, and uh, and and we will be reviewing those uh, very very carefully. Despite the fact that traffic will be probably more impaired over the next few weeks than they were than it was in the first wave of the pandemic, um, we're we we will not be as uh, um, open to using those tools as we were.
5: Okay, so if I understand you in the short term we're not likely to see that number increase as quickly as it did in the last couple of quarters. There's um, still
1: a new revelation, I guess. Yeah, there's a 12-month run rate on some of those incentives, so they have to bleed off. But yes, the, yeah. the rate at which you're using, them, you're totally right, That that is uh, unlikely to continue at the same rate. Okay, which
5: leads to my next question, just a clarification. Can you remind us, um, from a rent allowable guideline increase perspective, as long as you only see three months in Ontario, you're able to, it doesn't factor into your, uh, like, you're
1: able to burn those off next uh, year, correct? Without, or you were uh, control reading was a... So, sorry, Mike, I, I couldn't quite hear you if you could repeat that question. Yeah, no,
5: I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to make sure I'm clear on the maximum level increase being set at 0% next year in Ontario. And to the extent right. that you've used incentives, is it three months, or is it like what's the rules again on that? Um, in terms of can you burn off if someone you gave someone two three months, um, are you allowed to burn that off and that doesn't count as a increase under the uh, guideline? We we
1: don't we don't use our incentives that. I know what you're referring to, but we do not use our incentives that way. There's there's a different and Scott, you can give more color to it, but there, some people use those incentives um we, we we don't do that so the yeah, guideline think, increase think- is, on, is on the existing rent and that's it it's just straight line so if your rent was 1200 bucks you were able to get a 1.4 percent guideline increase government's saying zero it's zero for the year you can't offset it within any sort of uh other number in ontario
5: okay um just with respect to regulatory concern you know, there's been some intervention and, and obviously unprecedented times, unprecedented measures by governments to intervene. When we come out of the pandemic, is, is your thought process that that pressure will um, sort of abate somewhat, or are you expecting to have more regulatory uh, concern as we emerge from the uh, pandemic?
1: Well, it's an interesting question because traditionally, if you go into disturbed economic times, which we all thought we were going to, haven't seen real evidence of that yet, you would expect to see rents uh, recede and pre- political pressure ease off. But what we've had happen here is this low interest rate environment has really, as I said, accelerated the, the home ownership market to, to clearly heated levels. And, and so there's no political pressure to that arena. There should be, but there's not, okay? And so where the political pressure then moves is to, is to rental. So it, I think it has a lot to do with the anxiety levels of, number one, people that are frozen out of the home ownership market uh, that feel, feel trapped by that. And, uh, and uh, how bad the, the, the recession, if there is one, uh, is on people but you know when you look at our collection rate and yes there's government assistance um, It's it's been quite strong so there's not that evidence of government intervention even being necessary at this point it's it's I think just been highlighted um, because there's a lot of anxiety out there and understandably so when there's uncertainty these issues all escalate but the government seems to understand the only real solution to what we're talking about here is supply and uh, they do seem to understand that, and and I'm I'm hopeful that uh, the anxiety is just just calm.
5: Okay, and that's a great, actually a great segue into my last question. Just you know we we've talked about undersupply um, even now, but leading up to the pandemic and how that's causing rental rate inflation or market rent inflation. Um, but you've also talked to the fact that when supply comes on and it is in that three to five dollar per square foot range in select markets where you're, you're not sure what the depth. Of leasing demand is for some of that product. So I guess, given that that you can only deliver at a certain cost, what's got to give? I mean, how do we how do we address that going forward?
1: I think there needs to be um, creativity, and that's why I use the manufactured home ownership as an example. I think the problem is that um, we've all been trying to solve the affordable housing problem by looking at how we can make concrete buildings half price. And there is no way to do that. And as a result, there's been very little progress made. You can't build something for half price. So how do you charge half price rents? And uh, that is the heartbeat of why Capri is such a great value offering is because we're buying income, which really creates a valuation of less than 50% of replacement cost. And that is why we're so strong. But I, I don't think there's a clear cut answer as to how um we get out of this without high government conviction and possibly intervention to solve the zoning issue it's all about the length of time for zoning it's 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 just far too long for the um uh population ambitions that the federal government has does not align with the conviction to zone at the municipal level And quite frankly, I feel bad for the provinces. They tend to be stuck in the middle of the problem that they regulate. So it it is a bit of a complicated um, issue that needs government unity. And um, if we're going to move through a period of growing our, our population, as I think we should, we need to have strong housing policy that's led at a federal level that can can coordinate the thinking and activities of provincial and municipal governments. It's a dislocation between those three levels of governments, which has made our portfolio so valuable. And it's a dislocation and unity of those three governments, which will help ease the uh, the supply problem.
5: Okay, thank you. I uh, I appreciate your comments and congrats on the uh, incredible year. Uh,
1: okay, thanks, Mike.
0: Your next question comes from Julian Chen with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open.
1: Hi, good
6: morning, guys. Good morning. I uh, just uh, sorry apologies for this earlier, but you know you kind of quoted that 400 to 800 million of acquisitions in 2021. Is it, would it be fair to say that uh, you know that would be more skewed towards Canada at this juncture in terms of where you're seeing oh.
1: opportunities? Yeah, yeah, and I, when I yeah, when I quoted that number, I'm quoting the Canadian the Canadian acquisition. Okay, Canadian. Okay. Thank you. you no, know, yeah, it it, it 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 really is a tough one. You will have probably seen in our investor deck, um, we have that little pyramid that shows how many deals we underwrite and how many transactions that we do. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, our success rate is is, is, uh, is not so impressive. But when you look at the the dollar value of of that success rate you know during a pandemic year we put on the 700 million dollars of acquisitions into the into the portfolio the year before okay. it was over a billion so we're incredibly disciplined our 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 true strength is our ability to cover the country and underwrite so many deals with a disciplined approach so you know i would just look at that track record in 2019 and 2020 and i can't see a reason why it would be different in 2021 but you don't know a what's going to come to the market, and you don't know how much uh, froth is going to be out there for multifamily assets, given what's happened during the pandemic. So, we'll, we'll stay disciplined, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we can uh, continue to find value. But if we can't find value, we've got a great portfolio, and, and I'm not driven to grow. Just for the sake of
2: add, i just add that we are still very bullish on Europe. I'm um, mm-hmm. happy to support E-Res in their growth. If, if, um, if Strong opportunities happen. I mean, I think from a Capri point of view, we like the European market, and then you'll see from the slides our ability to hedge, um, you know, the FX and, and create incredibly low interest rates. Um, you know, levered up to close to 100% makes our European strategies extremely accretive. So definitely not afraid to to grow there as well.
6: Yeah, would there be opportunities to, I guess, uh, you know, further increase your interest uh, in?
1: and iRes as well or yeah, I I listen, our, our, our attentions are really um, and primary focus has been in the support of ERES. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we continue to support our IRES investment and, and value that investment. But looking at the track record, the 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 support in the last couple of years that has been welcomed um, uh, by the ERES board. Has been has been supporting that entity, and uh, as Scott says, we really like the dynamics in deal flow um, opportunities in the Netherlands, and we um, you know we're very happy with our Irish investment. Okay, um, and maybe just
6: another way to circling uh, so back to the regulatory risk um, uh, question. Um, you know, given the pace of vaccination that we're able to get here now in Canada, it seems like that recovery's being pushed back, it keeps getting pushed back. Well, hopefully, it, you know, we'll get a big vote in the next month or so. But, Let's hope so. Um, um, you know, what is your thinking maybe in terms of, I guess, specific to Ontario, the possibility for the extension of that uh, event freeze into 2022 right now at this
1: juncture? I I think it's hard to say. Um the magnitude of that um or the impact I should say of that rent freeze in twenty twenty one isn't great, but it's not it's not um overly material to Capri. Mm-hmm. Um it's not something that uh that we would um uh openly I guess welcome because we have costs that are growing. And residents that we need to service and employees we need to take care of Um, but it's it's not of concern to me Um, I think we're in the environment we're in and until it's stable it's hard to uh, it's hard to call what's going to happen
6: okay no that's that's helpful Uh, that's for me I'll, I'll turn it back thanks
1: thank you
0: your next question comes from Matt Karnak with National Bank Financial. Your line is open.
7: Good morning, guys. Uh, She's roughly popular here today, Matt. I know, I know. <laughs> I, <laughs> I also need to get better at uh, clicking the button because then hopefully the tail end. Um, yeah. Just a quick quote, two quick questions. Uh, one on six, six properties, are any of those, we, we also saw the announcement from McGill University, um, are any of those your assets in close proximity to McGill? yes and i mean that one property that you have in the mcgill ghetto is about as core and central to the university as you can get so yeah talk to kind of the quantum of vacancy in those six properties <laughs>
1: sure but hold on to your chair and remember that uh cap rate vacancy is uh, extremely low overall levels um but we have uh we've been hardest hit in um halifax edmonton And then Montreal. Okay. Um, Those numbers in those buildings are plus 30 to 40 percent. And there's really not much that can be done about that. The good news on that front is that they're going to fill up fast if September is back to in place learning and if the vaccine is rolled out and mom and dad are comfortable letting their kids go to school. You know, there'll be no lack of students. When you're trying to catch the overall market and solve problems of that magnitude, you can't. But when you've got a returning market, it'll fully return, especially with the double cohort um, effect that we think is out there. We don't know for sure, but we think that there's a number of uh, kids that didn't go away to school last year that wanted to, that are going to be enrolling first year this year, as well as the foreign student effect. So I think these high vacancies bode well for Capri. <laughs> I've never said that before in the history of our company. <laughs> but I think that it allows to get um, market rent and it allows us to improve vacancy very, very quickly.
7: No, right, I think that's a fair point. I know that property in particular in Montreal is yeah. going to be in high demand eventually when McGill is back and you've got some near Concordia as well. Um, One of my my favourite Canadian cities now. (laughs) And then uh, quickly on mortgage, I mean, you were able to basically term out your mortgage, uh, 25% of your mortgage is at sub 2% for over 10 years. Um, Mm -hmm. It sounds like you plan on doing a fair bit. Uh, Just wondering, I mean, bond yields have moved a bit of late. Do you have any uh, sort of... Uh, or what is the the amount of mortgages that you kind of have a lock on and, and at what rate at this point? And what debt can – I mean, you don't have much variable debt to repay, but would you look at defeating some of your existing mortgages to repay them at this point?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, look, we, we were super aggressive, and we broke mortgages and did everything we could to create as much liquidity in 2020. I mean, definitely spreads have come out um, – you know, from that 180, we're looking closer to 220 today. You know, maybe 215. So, I mean, just on on doing that in advance, we probably saved 50 million dollars of interest um, versus today's rate. So, we'll look at a little bit more some short-term stuff, um, you know, to fill in our portfolio. And I think I did a pro forma kind of where we are focused on term for next year. But, you know, we really think being aggressive right now is the, is the right thing to do, even if that means sitting on a little bit of cash um, and the acquisition pipeline is, has been robust. So uh, we're not afraid. To be fair, we don't have much room on our line um, left to pay down. We've got $100 million, um, but we're sitting on cash. So we're kind of net neutral. So it'll be, you know, utilizing cash for acquisitions. Um, but uh, we'll continue to be aggressive getting at those today because we don't want to miss this low-rate environment.
7: Okay, no, fair enough, and have to echo uh, some prior guys, uh, very impressive quarter in the context of where we are today.
1: Thanks, Matt.
2: Thanks a lot, Matt.
0: Okay, there are no further questions. Get up at this time, I'll turn the call back over to Mr. Kenny for closing remarks.
2: Yeah,
1: well, that was a great uh, catch-up of questions, probably one of the longest um, question sessions uh, that I can remember. I would just use that as a reminder that Scott and I are always available uh, to answer questions uh, throughout the quarter. Please just reach out and, and let us know. We've done significant um, uh, investor outreach, and they're always there for uh, people that are showing uh, further interest in Capri and better understanding. So I'd like to thank you again for your time and attention today. And if you have any further questions, like I said, please don't hesitate to contact us at any time. Thanks again, and goodbye.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.